Hello and welcome to episode four of the Copper and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me, as always, are my lovely co-hosts, Corey Travers and Shona Hickmore. What do you guys think of this last week? It was a weird one that ended off with a loss to Toronto in overtime, which always sucks. I'll tell you what, I'm just bored. Like, uh, we only got to see one game of hockey this week, uh, and I expect, you know, three a week. So, yeah, oh, I'm not happy right now. The and announcement was, on what? It was a Monday? loss, too. Sorry? Oh, the announcement on Monday was just a killjoy, yeah. man. It just killed all my motivation for the week. I was looking forward to the others beating up on the Canadians, and when I heard that the entire series was postponed, ugh, hated it. See, like, Corey, it's not that you had one game of hockey. It's that you only had one game of Oilers hockey. Like, there are lots of hockey going around the league this week, at, le- at the very least. Like, you That's get a true. background noise, that stuff. But Yeah, but if the Oilers aren't playing, what's the point, right? That's what, that's what we're here to talk about, right? It really limits what we can talk about this week. What do you mean? It limits what, what you guys can talk too. about. All my, all my specialties are outside the Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, like you said, Corey ended off with a loss to Toronto in overtime that uh, included a 3-1 blow of the lead by the Oilers, which made that loss hurt even more. Um, I don't think the Oilers played, like, terribly. I think considering the situation, they didn't play hockey for a week. Uh, They were sitting around a hotel, and all they could do was sit around that hotel or play in some practices. I think they played pretty all right against a pretty good Toronto team. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm kind of disappointed that the pretty good Toronto team showed up again. Like, like they were doing pretty poorly. Like there was no need for a rebound here, Leaves. Like you, you didn't need to do it. But uh, yeah, I don't think that they did horribly. Um, obviously two points is better than one point, but one point is better than no points, right? So Yeah, and hey, it was a pretty fluky goal in overtime. I think it bounced off Dreisaitl and then Nurse and then Pass Smith. It's not like we got completely outclassed in that overtime period yeah it's one of those cases where like if you just look at the the stats you know the shots on goal the uh the expected goals like the Leafs did kind of outclass the Oilers just like statistically but if you actually watch the game like it's not the Oilers goals were so nice that it's not like they weren't going to happen anyway like the Oilers I think got less than two expected goals last night but like there was no way the Oilers were scoring less than three goals last night, considering the level of passing and finishing on the goals that actually happened. I mean, Drysaddle and McDavid were playing great, setting guys up. Uh, Barry with a beautiful pinch there. Uh, you know, Nurse shows a little finishing. Drysaddle, unbelievable on the on the feed from McDavid. One of the best goals of the oh, year. That's a, that's a, that's a patented yeah. goal by him now. It's on par. It's going to be on par. By the end of his career, he'll be just as well known for that type of goal as Ovechkin or Stamkos is from, from their, their type of one-timer goals. It's just a fantastic yeah. shot. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I don't think we can really fault Mike Smith. I, I know it's weird. it feels weird defending Mike Smith, but I, th- I thought he was pretty solid last night. He, especially early in the third period, like he made a few 10-bell saves. That one on Matthews on that power play, I have no idea how he got that. That should have been Holy a magic. nine Remember? times out of ten. It was pretty decent, and the goals he did get scored on, they were they were just good goals. It was just uh, good shots by Toronto players and some breakdowns in the Oilers' end by their defense. Well, I mean, yeah. sorry, go good ahead. goals aside, I think the the like you were saying, you're both saying the disappointing thing is that they were up three one, right? Um, so yeah, and especially because yeah. the Oilers have been so well or have done so well at keeping that lead late in games, right? 
we've always become accustomed to when they have a lead that late into the game that they're probably going to hold on to it. And when they don't, it's a surprise this year. So you don't see that very often from this year's Edmonton Oilers. And hey, it's going to happen, but it's still disappointing. It is. It's true that it's legitimately surprising when the Oilers disappoint us this year, which is crazy because normally I'm just used to being disappointed. Oh, I know. Going back to the Mike Smith. Which is still legitimately surprising to any longtime Oilers fan. I think part of that too, like you were saying, Preston, is that Mike Smith is, is still playing well. And I believe Shona said, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, there's no such thing as good goalies or bad goalies. It's just goalies who have played good or bad. And yeah. Mike Smith has played well. Like he's he's been good. So yeah. let's let's keep it coming. Yeah, like I, I, I will say. I am quite surprised that Smith's like this high quality of play. Like he hasn't regressed. Yeah. Like he's had those opportunities. There's been a couple of those games where you're like, Oh, this could be the moment where like his confidence just like tanks because you know, there's a bad series of plays or, you know, whatever's going on there, but he's been really um, his mental game has been really good this year around like keeping himself, you know, set up for the next, shot the next shift the next whatever so that um he's he's doing much better right and it's really really weird to say that about like a 39 year old goalie like when you're seeing stuff out of him that you haven't really seen in his career for however many years you can do that you can be like mentally stable (laughs) you told me at the start of the year that mike smith would have had 10 times as good a season as carter hart I would have called you crazy, but that's what's happening right now. So goalies are are crazy. Goalies are voodoo, man. You just never goalies are going. not voodoo, Preston. I'm gonna keep saying that for yeah. the rest of my rest of my life. That's a phrase I'm gonna keep pulling out. Uh, the other thing that blew up the Oilers Twitter sphere, everyone was, was talking about it. I wrote a I think controversial article on it that had a lot of people upset. Uh, Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall reunion more likely than you think at this point. Well, after Elliot Freeman pointed out on a radio hit, uh, was it in Buffalo he had that radio hit? Um, that uh, the Buffalo Sabres might not get a first-round pick for, for any Taylor Hall trade. So can the Oilers swoop in and get it? I, I think they might be able to. What do you guys think? I mean, if that's the asking price, the Oilers aren't good enough to win the Stanley Cup right now. But like, I, like I've said in previous podcasts, they need to start going for it. I mean, not absolute mortgage of the future right now go for it because they're probably not good enough to give away a ton for a deadline acquisition because it's not going to turn them into a contender but if the asking price on hall is not a first round pick you got to go get taylor hall i mean taylor hall has actually been playing really well this year is what i don't think a lot of people realize his expected goal on ice numbers are, are pretty good his individual expected goals are still high his shooting percentage is unbelievably low but also the best thing that you could possibly do for your shooting percentage is play beside a mcdavid or a dry sidle and that's exactly what would happen to hall if he came to edmonton so yeah let's make that happen let's i'm fully on board i was kind of joking when we brought it up two weeks ago but yeah i'm on board let's get taylor hall taylor hall an oiler by the end of the year that would be absolutely amazing i know jeff would be out in the street streaking with a I hope chan- not. Jeff's Taylor got Hall's, too many uh... responsibilities to have sat hanging out like oh, that. Oh no! If Taylor Hall comes to town, all all things are off the off off. Oh, I can't talk right now. 
Uh, but he yeah, should be everything's on the I, table. Everything's Jeff's on celebration the table. will be, there it you is. know. Um, and know. hey, the, the salary might be a little weird, might be a little difficult here. He does make $8 million, but word on the street is that Buffalo is willing to, to cut that in half. So you have to send a guy like, you hope they can take Russell, but I don't know about that. It's only one year of Russell. His contract is drastically reduced at the end of the year. Maybe a guy like, like Buffalo Chason. really, really wants a second round pick. So, uh, I mean, if that's all it's going to take, sure. Yeah, something like that. I think it's a great idea. I think we should go for it. Uh, God, that top six with Hall in there. It's, it's got to be among the best in the league. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I can see both of your faces, which no one else can do. And you've both got just this look on your face that's like this – just like Taylor Hall, like it would top be amazing. six Nirvana place, and you and know, hey, I, let's let's stay in this Nirvana just a little bit more. I I want to know where you guys would play him if we did in fact get him. I don't think I'd play him with McDavid. I think I'd play him on the second line with Drysaitel because they showed that wicked chemistry in that that one year they were together. They did, they did. So that's they they've proven over a larger sample that they can work. But I also just think that if you put Drysidle with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto, which was so unbelievable last year as your second line. And then a first line of Hall, McDavid, and Pooley-Arvey. I mean, that would just be like, that would be unbelievable. Oh, that top wow. six. So, I mean, it works. It works a number of ways. Obviously, you put him with Drysidle, and then that line would have Yamamoto on it. And then uh, McDavid gets to play with Nugent and Pooley-Arvey. I mean, that's, both those scenarios are fantastic. But I think I slightly prefer Hall with McDavid, but I don't know. I could go either way. Either way. So, make it so what I'm really hearing here is Corey thinks there's a no lose on this. You can stick him anywhere. Shake yeah. our shake yeah. it up, however. <laughs> it, it, it gives you that opportunity of hey, if you struggle a game or two, you can mix up that top six and any combination is gonna be has the potential to be really good. Um, I don't think the others have that that on the left wing right now. And under this scenario, we still have like a Tyler Ennis on the third line, which is going to be a good third line. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Corey, you're just trying to convince me um, that we need Taylor Hall to like uh, stabilize the lower lines because you know I've all been like I don't I want more than an okay fourth line or, it's, or it's decent third line. Economics is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Corey, they, they've pretty much proven trickle down economics real. doesn't work. No, I, that's what the caveat is here. So what you're telling me is trickle down economics works in hockey. Only in hockey. Only in Oilers hockey. Trickle down Only in talent. Oilers hockey. Okay. Trickle yeah. down talent. Um, maybe the Oilers don't even need to make a trade acquisition to booster that that uh, that bottom six because they got a few guys in the AHL that are absolutely lighting it up. Tyler Benson, uh, Cooper Morody, and uh, McLeod. What's his first name? Ryan. Ryan. That's the name. God. Just not we like Ryan's here in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, they're absolutely fantastic. I believe Benson and Marodi are top two in a the AHL for scoring. Well, uh, McLeod is tied for seventh. They're just absolutely on fire. Uh, Corey, you said they didn't have a great weekend though. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the Condors did lose twice this weekend after they were on an absolute hot streak. I think the reason for that is I wrote an article at the start of the week where I said they were like seven over 70% to win all their games this week. So of course they had to lose a few to make me look like an idiot, which I respect. Uh, but yeah, this is an Oilers franchise, <laughs> you know, Cooper Marody 
at the time of when I wrote that article, I think his goals alone, this is kind of like a Gretzky stat or McDavid stat, uh, but instead of how everyone knows that Gretzky had more assists than anyone else has points, Cooper Marodi had enough goals to be in the top 20 in AHL scoring, even if he had no assists at the start of the week, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. I've always liked uh, Marodi. Yeah, Benson was second, and, and McLeod was right up there as well. So, yeah, absolutely killing it for quite a while. Uh, this past weekend being a bit of the exception, but there's still a lot to like about what's happening in Bakersfield right now. And uh, part of that is Stuart Skinner also playing well. So it's not just goals. It's also goals against it's, it's awesome. It's, it sucks that we're in a, in a, a pandemic year for the NHL. Cause I would love to see at least one of these guys get called up and play a few games. For sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there, there's a, there's a positive in this is like, um, they're really settling in. They kind of like, there's, in a lot of ways, a lot less pressure. Like you're not playing until now you're going to get called up. Right. Like, so they can settle into their lines. They can like get really going. They can spend this time, like working on things or tweaking things or, you know, just going through what they need to go through in the AHL to like figure out how they really want to push for camp next year. Right. Like um, I think that there's some value in just having space to be like, Oh, well, you know, I tried that in the AHL and didn't work in the AHL. So I'm not going to, you know, keep trying it, or I know I work really well with this guy or, you know, this style of play, right? Like it really gives um, some of the younger guys that are there an opportunity to like, I'm not going to say like, you know, mess around, but, you know, like just work through whatever's going on so that they know, you know, what does and doesn't work for their games. And, and, you know, we're in a pandemic here. It doesn't mean the coaches can't talk. They better be talking. For sure. And outside of those three, um, Stuart Skinner is also having a breakout year in the AHL. He has a 9.15 save percentage. He's got a 10-4-1 record. He's He's been great as well. And uh, he did have a shaky NHL debut. He did let in five goals against the Senators for a .868 save percentage in his one start. Um, okay, you know what? Leave the, nice the to... poor, leave the poor, you know, first start goalie alone i know it's nerves i'm not i'm not ragging on him at all i'm just bringing up the facts um but he's he's looked very good in bakersfield so far and it's it's nice that the Oilers have a goalie uh, a young goalie like skinner that that seems to be uh coming into his own this year for sure absolutely and they might actually have another good young player coming up for that bakersfield team with dylan holloway uh his uh, wisconsin teammate cole caulfield was signed by the montreal canadians over this weekend and Holloway should be coming up pretty soon. What do you guys think about that? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, think. Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, I was going to say, I think part of it depends on what Holloway wants to do. Like, is he in Wisconsin to, you know, get an education or is he in Wisconsin to play hockey? You know, I've never heard one way or another what he's there to do. So I think that if he's there to like, if his mom or his dad were like, go get your degree, you know, it might be another year before he signs with the Oilers. Not that the Oilers aren't going to sign him. I think they hundred percent are, but I think that, like I said, this year, they've had the opportunity to have those, those conversations with people to be like, yeah, so what are your plans? Like, when do you see yourself reporting to, you know, the AHL, you know, full time, like to be some, one of the thing I, I've always really kind of like been frustrated with the Oilers in, is that sometimes they seem super reactive, like, oh, we got to do this and we got to do it now instead of like planning things out, right? So they'll end up with like draft picks they need to sign in like 49 contracts and you're just like, for the love of God, 
but this year they've really um they've got that time and that space to really be like intentional and, and plan some stuff out for themselves so if they don't sign hallway now it's not because I don't think they're going to sign them. It's because I think that, you know, they've had that conversation and they both sides know they're committed and they're just, you know, holding off on pulling the trigger for lack of a better phrase, because they know what each other's goals are, right? They're not jumping into anything, which is super refreshing actually to, you know, see your NHL hockey club, like be deliberate and intentional and smart. Yeah. Smart Oilers management. Hey, well, I know a lot of people were Reagan on uh, Holland for making that Holloway pick, but uh, I-, I covered a few prospects before that draft. Holloway was is legit. He he had a good skill set, and he he kind of came out and in, in Holloway. I I got Holloway in the top twenty five under twenty five, and the thing that I'm still worried about Holloway, and the thing that's always worried about Holloway, is that every report you get out of him on scouts is that you know, if he doesn't want to work on it, he's not going to work on it. So you know, in the AJHL, it was back checking because he didn't see the point because there were defenders right like so that's what i'm really hoping um wisconsin takes care of for us yeah absolutely wisconsin it's a whole thing so um he had a great year with wisconsin um i know another thing that a lot of scouts had uh pinned as a problem is his production in the ncaa coming into his draft uh he's put those concerns to rest though he's had an absolutely fantastic offensive season um Problem. Sorry, you were going to talk. Talk. One oh, second. yeah, I was going to say. Actually, problem. well, just go ahead. Uh, uh, sorry, we're cutting Corey off way too much today. I was going to say a problem that might come with signing uh, Holloway is that it was reported by, I believe, Elliot Friedman last night on Saturday that Holloway suffered a broken thumb and played his final game with the Wisconsin Badgers with that broken thumb. So it might take a little while for a contract to get signed uh, with that injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. M- might a little bit, because of course, as, as Shona said, when we were, we were prepping, that is probably his uh, contract signing thumb. Uh, but yeah, uh, to, to piggyback on Preston's point about his production, I was hundred percent in the camp of he had 17 points in 35 games last year at Wisconsin last year being the, the 1920 season. So under half a point a game, I wasn't too impressed. I knew that, you know, he had a lot of talent, but wasn't really realizing that much this year couldn't have been a different story couldn't have been more of a different story I should say over one and a half points per game so his points per game was up by over a full point per game which is insane uh he was playing a lot with Cole Caulfield who had 30 goals in 31 games but still 35 points in 23 games for Holloway Hobie Baker finalist as you said uh you know on a very good Wisconsin team who lost in the I believe it was the Sweet 16 or potentially the no, yeah, it was a Sweet 16 to Bemidji State, who to riff a little bit there. I think they're like one of six Minnesota schools that made it to the. Okay, Olympics. you know what? Minnesota crazy. doesn't call itself the state of hockey for no reason. I've been in Minnesota for yeah. high school hockey, and like they sell out their freaking um, NHL building, standing room only to watch like 16 year olds play, right? Like, it is just a ride to be there for um, like their mentality around hockey. So I'm not surprised they've got six like quality NCAA signs. Yeah, so Cole Caulfield and, and Dylan Holloway, two great NHL prospects, could not team up and beat the sixth best team in, in the state of Minnesota, which is pretty crazy. So, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> so got really time, good right? hockey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Target, it's still got Target too. Target. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking non-NHL hockey. We're going to be talking about the hot start for the WHL's Edmonton Oil Kings. They're off to a 9-0-0 start. Then we're going to talk about some of the NWHL going on. The Boston Pride, their 2021 Isabel Cup champs. We'll talk about that right after this. All right, and we're back. Uh, thank you guys for sticking around. The Oil Kings of the WHL probably one of the best WHL teams in the league right now. Uh, 9-0-0. Well, they're the best WHL team in the league. Yeah, right there's no doubt about that. They're undefeated they're, through their first nine games. Absolutely they crazy. Are, they're probably one of the top CHL sides, if they're not the top CHL side right now. So like Ontario, um, Quebec, and the Atlantic, and just WHL. Like they have never started a season as strongly as they've started this season. They've got like, I, they've got at least that I can think of at the top of my head, two prospects in their draft year that are ranked as like a class prospects in Dylan Gunther, who there's like talk of a high first round draft pick. And it's just to watch that kid, like, just like find his way through the ice is fantastic. And Sebastian Costa, which is just like, this is your goalie voodoo Preston, like, six seven like tree of a goalie that's just like I don't even know came in last year and you know until he goes to the AHL or the NHL it's not gonna be taken there's not gonna be any taking the starting spot from him like they the Oil Kings have literally never had as hot a start as they have this year I mean they'd normally play more teams they're stuck playing the the, the five teams in Alberta right now um but I mean, hey, they they're I think there's been two games that I can think of that they've even been trailing. I mean, they're trailing Calgary as we record this. So guys get it together. I hate losing to Calgary. Um, but no, just I don't know. Like if you haven't like um, I know neither one of you are, are junior hockey like people, but they the teams go up and the teams go down like way quicker than nhl teams just because of the age of the players and to have um the Royal kings have been in like this building you know in two seasons ago they made it to the conference finals against a prince albert raiders team that was just you know it's like the wise blah like it was the talk of the country it had gone like 23 games undefeated you know and they pushed them and then last year they were on quite a roll when covid canceled all the hockey and then this year, this year, even though they got a late start, their team has just been phenomenal. Like top to bottom, you know, you're seeing production from guys that you haven't seen this type of production from ever. Like Jalen Lipin is, I think in the last three games is like three goals. Like he, in the previous two years has not been a goalie game player, not even for periods. Like, but it's just makes me real sad that, the only way you can watch it is a granny stream on your computer. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's exciting for, you know. Well, absolutely. It's nice to have uh, more than one good hockey team here in Edmonton. I, I remember the Memorial Cup uh, run that the Oil Kings had. What was that, 2014? Yeah, 13-14. 13-14. It was just awesome to watch. It was the most junior hockey I think I've ever watched. Uh, and to see them go all the way was, uh, was really special. Um, I know the Oilers have been criticized in the past for going the Oil King route in the draft, but uh, I think with these two, what was it, Dylan Gun Gunther and what's the goalie's name? Sebastian Costa. 
I think it was reminding you, Lassa, of, like, you you might want to go go for a goalie like him. Well, like the, the the comparable for you right now is Stuart Skinner. Like you had Stuart Skinner in um, Lethbridge, um, just tearing it up, uh, and then you know moves from Lethbridge, I think, at the end of his career in the WHL, but just tearing it up like this big, flexible, like just super cognizant of what's going on around him goalie that, you know, has done really well in the Oilers system this year. Corey was just telling us all about how well he's done in, in Bakersfield. You know, do I think that uh, that necessarily replicates with Casa? No, but I think it's a, a similar type of goalie and playing, you know, um, playing, you know, not necessarily always a similar style, but like similar kind of um, way, right? Like I know yeah. each goalie, as Preston would say, each goalie has their own particular style of voodoo. Oh, so. yeah. You can't, I, 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 like this last draft, I was very uh, questionable about taking Yaroslav Askarov in the first round. And, and luckily the, the Predators took him before the Oilers. But hey, if you can pick up a really quality goalie in the later half of the first round, I think then you can consider it. I think where the Oilers were at 14, it's a bit too high, but uh, it doesn't look like the Oilers will be picking that low this year. So, or that high, I guess. So, hey, if, if he continues to climb and he's available, like pick number, hopefully 31, that's what we're hoping for. But uh, uh, in that last half, I, yeah, I, I would have time for it, for sure. Well, I mean, I guess the other part is, you know, well, Kings are 9 0 There's 24 game season, so give him the other, you know, 15, see how it happens. But he hasn't played all of them. I think he's played eight of the nine, you know. Yeah. Um, but he's had a couple shutouts and some really strong performances in that. So I'm I'm excited for what they're gonna do. I it, it's really uh kind of disappointing that they're this strong in a year where there's no playoffs and no Memorial Cup. So you can't like judge them against the uh the rest of the country the same way you would like when you're talking about the memorial cup run like you can judge that right like yeah. you could see oh they played you know the knights in the ohl and they played the storm storm Gulf storm um it's just easier when you've got a bigger sample of teams to play against right well, you also get a, a look at how how these young players perform on the the big stage right like you look i, lo- I like to look back at leon Dreisaitl's performance when the um Rockets. Rockets made it all the way and they lost in the final there but uh he still got player of the player of the tournament and yeah. just showed hey this guy is a big game player and he showed that at the NHL level too. Uh moving on arguably here. dry side will own it more with the Raiders but let's let's yeah. not go there. <laughs> yeah. Uh this is this is I a... can remember is when uh remember when McKinnon and Seth Jones went head to head in the final and also being like the top 2 draft pick. Do you well, know what? Like, I remember being the top 2 but that was crazy. I was I was at that Memorial Cup as I do. Um because it was out Saskatoon way. Um and I, the one thing I remember is watching McKinnon play Jones, and it wasn't the final game that game. But I just remember thinking that McKinnon was going around Jones. You know, Jones's yeah. lateral movement at that point was nowhere near what McKinnon's speed was doing. And I remember thinking that that was going to like impact his draft standing. And lo, I, I you know, remember he went from being the certifiable four. number one yeah. to, you know, didn't yeah. help that Jones's team had beaten my team to get to the. Uh, memorial cups so i might have had some hard feelings i i think i was i was i was just about to talk about that i was at the game where the portland winterhawks uh won the whl title oh. against the uh uh the oil kings and i remember 
thinking very highly of Seth Jones and also Ty Ratty at the moment. I, I don't ever. Uh, I was cheering for the Oil Kings, but I get, I was, what was I? I was like, they're really 14, good. Junior 13. And I thought they were really good then. So they, they were good junior players, but there's, um, you know, that's uh, for Winter Hawks history. That's not their best, like, yeah. their best period. They were they're uh, always good. Yeah. They're good, but they're, that was uh, that particular like series of years, like um, where they went with the Oil Kings to three, finals is also the series of years um the year after where they get slapped with the, the harshest whl sanctions ever handed out for cheating right yeah. so you know um they had great performance on the ice but maybe not their um their best questionable in the office yeah i'm a big yeah. fan of cheating personally always, you're, you're a big it. fan of cheating yeah it's, it's pretty cool yeah, uh, well, you know it's not cool getting stuff. caught because <laughs> no, I think yeah, they lost sucks. like six years of first round draft picks over that. Oh, jeez, that's uh, quite they weren't a allowed to pick at all the year oh they got God. caught in the draft. That that's, was what the I thought the, the sanctions against the Coyotes were bad. That's just brutal. Uh, so, moving you know, on to a another topic that Shona knows quite a bit more than I think either me and Corey. Uh, the NWHL, they awarded their 2020 Isabel Cup and the Boston Pride became the first team in league history to win multiple titles. So could you tell us a little bit more about that, Shona? So, you know, you know that, you know who picked to put these topics on the agenda, right? They're good topics. Hey, it was, it was a quiet week and I don't think it, nearly enough people talk about the NWHL. Women's hockey so, is great hockey. It is. And I mean, the NWHL is... Um, Oh, you know, it's a league embroiled in controversy. Anyone who's, you know, been paying attention to women's hockey knows it, you know, had a team drop out of its uh, original Isabel Cup player playoffs due to um, barstool shenanigans. And then, you know, they got shut down for COVID. So they're finally getting back to it. Um, but they are, they're the, uh, the currently the only, um, there's the, the, the player, the Women's Players Association that does the Dream Gap Tour, but they're the only, um, professional league running in the, you know, and they, this year they're, they expanded up to Toronto. So they got their first Canadian team, the Toronto six. Um, and they got a lot, they, they did something really cool. The NWHL this year, which is relevant, but not relevant is that they picked, um, out of U sports. So one of the, the pandas, um, Autumn Duel was one of the, it was the first, um, woman drafted to the Indian W child from the Canada West hockey, which is, you know, a thing. Um, so she, uh, her buttes didn't make these finals, but that's okay. Um, you know, you had a, a recap of a um, couple champions in the white caps who, you know, didn't join in the first year. I think they, they came in in the second. The NWHL is not exactly my strong suit either, but that's okay. You know, they're all out East and it's a little hard sometimes when you're out West. But um, versus, you know, the Pride and the Pride were the original dominant team in the NWHL where, you know, they had the Hillary, the first year they had those Hillary Knights and they had like just a dominating force. So to see like the two teams that have kind of owned um, WHL, NWHL hockey kind of go up against each other for the uh, Isabel Cup is, is pretty, uh, pretty special, I think, in, in this kind of um, environment. Also, they had the opportunity. I don't know if they were still broadcast on NSNBC, but they were originally scheduled to be, which was a big step forward for women's hockey, at least in the States. 
So, you know, all of that's really good. Um, I am a little surprised that Minnesota didn't win. Um, Boston, uh, Boston was good, but Minnesota clubbed the Connecticut whale seven zero in the semifinal. And you're just like, God, seven zero. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and Boston was much closer with the six, but you know, a three, four final, you know, that's some good back and forth hockey that they had going on. And I think, um, it's important more than anything that you get to have a women's league in a COVID um, time, you know, to get that out there. Um, the whole thing is about representation so that, you know, girls know they can play yeah. hockey too. We don't have a lot of that, like, we don't have as much of that going on as we should, even though we've got a bunch of people talking about how yeah. it's important. Absolutely. Um, the only time I really get to watch women's hockey is, is during the Olympics. <laughs> And it's, it's probably Preston, you come with me when we get back to hockey. Yeah, I'll take yeah. you to some I, of the I best women's Drake hockey. The pandas there. I, yeah. I, I want to get into watching women's hockey. It's just, it's so much harder to, to find some resources to do it rather than, uh, than just watching NHL and WHL. Um, well, no, Preston, totally you're, you're in Edmonton. It's fine. We've got two Canada West teams. I will take That's you true. around. I, I did watch the McEwen. That's my team. The McEwen Griffins women's team. My team beats your team. Yeah. My team yeah, is they're, literally. They're, hey, we've dominated. You know, uh, Corey, as Corey can, Corey can nod his head along. The Pandas hockey team, which is my team, yeah, have so the most wins. Right yes, have the most wins, the most national titles, the most Canada West titles. Their coach Howie Draper has the most wins. If you go on their percentage, they have won more than the men's team like okay well you guys can enjoy all that the McEwen Griffins are going to come in and take that all away when when they get officially sure. into the Canada West League okay, okay we're going to have a little cute. friendly rivalry here that's cute I like it I like it <laughs> hey we yeah. dominated the ACAC league you did uh, dominate the ACAC Nate um, would give us trouble a little Nate bit sometimes good, but we usually overcame them so yeah we're and you know Canada West League it's, for, it's a fun it's fun because I, I know that some of the coaching staff at Nate and McEwen are both former pandas so it's like the one thing I love about women's hockey and maybe it's easier to see in women's hockey is how um, former players like come back to the game in coaching roles or assistant coaching roles. Like um, there's a coach out in, in New Brunswick at UNB. He was a Pandas assistant coach and now she's a head coach out in UNB, Sarah Hillworth, who was a Panda like in the two, early 2000s, you know? So like we see it in men's hockey like you see it men coming back to coach but you don't see it with the same like frequency in women's hockey and i think it's because it's a smaller pool but um yeah love of my life um you have you university of alberta pandas which you know it's unfortunate for anyone who's ever got me started (laughs) No, I, the, like I said, I, I was able to watch the Griffins the last few years, and it's, it's super fun watching them. They're highly motivated players, and they're, they're skilled players, too. Just because they're at the university level here in Western Canada doesn't mean they're not good hockey players. It's really good well, hockey. I mean, there's this, um, this misconception around that, that, that's not, that it's a step down from the NCAA. But, you know, they've had, um, they've had opportunities to put U sports teams up against uh, NCAA teams, and normally they hold their own quite well, you know? Yeah. So this idea that, you know, all the best players go NCAA. No. And especially for women's hockey, you know, a lot of really good 
Canadian women's hockey players go in CAA, but a lot of them want to stay, you know, stay in Canada, stay with their families. They don't want to incur like $40,000 worth of debt when the, the scholarships aren't the same for women's hockey as for men's hockey. So they'll stay here. Yeah. doesn't mean they're, you know, less talented, like um, best goalie name in the world is uh, there's a goalie, former U of A goalie called Lindsay named Lindsay Post. And I just, it's the best like post goalie. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, she did her rookie year in Sweden last year and was the best goalie in the Swedish league, you know, best save percentage won the best goalie trophy. So, you know, don't, don't ever tell me that, you know, Canada West players can't go wherever they want to go and succeed because they're out there proving you're wrong. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. We're running a little long here for this episode, so we're going to take it right into a preview of the next week. It was initially oh, going to be you put another... on my topics, and now you're complaining. Hey, we went, we went on. I think you got to give us a lot of good, uh, good knowledge there, and uh, I certainly learned something because I'm so out of touch with the WHL and the NWHL, um, and and college hockey too. Um, so the, this week was going to be a quiet week initially. They are going to play Toronto on Monday, which is if you're listening to this on the launch day, that's later tonight. Uh, and then it was going to be a three-day break followed by the Flames on this next Friday and then Vancouver on Saturday for a back-to-back. Guess what? <laughs> no longer the case. The NHL released their schedules uh, for postponed games. The Oilers will now play Toronto tomorrow or today if you're listening to this uh, on launch day. And they are playing the Canadians tomorrow at 5 p.m. for one of their makeup games. So it's going to be back-to-back, back-to-backs this week. So a busy week, or a quiet week turns into a busy week. What should we expect from the Oilers? I'm hoping three wins. I'm hoping three wins and that Toronto's one of them. Oh, I would really like to beat Toronto. That'd be huge. I mean, I'd love that. Uh, They're pretty heavy underdogs against Toronto tomorrow. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're, gambling inclined you can still get the oilers at 2.35 or plus 135 if you prefer american odds uh so i i've i've gone ahead and bet on that i don't know if those will be the odds when the podcast actually drops uh but i think i like the oilers chances tomorrow and one podcast i'm gonna make Corey explain to me what that means <laughs> okay we'll do and uh against montreal that's gonna be a tough one coming off the of back-to-back they're obviously very rested but they also have had some COVID issues so i don't really know what to make of all that but sweeping the weekend would be fantastic with Cal- calgary and vancouver and i still think that Calgary's actually a pretty good team despite their record so i don't think they're going <laughs> to win by any means Corey. Well, and i'm not uh, allowed to say that well they're good i don't i don't like them at all you need to preface that you know you this just makes you feel dirty to say all right this makes me feel like absolute crap but calgary <laughs> might not be a terrible hockey team that being said we're gonna beat calgary we're gonna beat vancouver we're gonna beat toronto we're gonna beat montreal four and oh there we go that's yeah. what i like to hear i i agree with you completely i think the fact that we're such heavy underdogs against toronto especially after a 4-3 overtime win where the goal, the winning goal was pretty fluky. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I totally take those odds. Um, I thought you know, they were... I, Corey, I hope this yep. doesn't condors this whole situation. <laughs> no, I probably will. I, no, we're going to go on for this week. Uh, if I say that, we might actually win a couple. <laughs> uh, yeah, and hey, uh, Montreal might be a tough matchup, but they haven't played in a week. They've had COVID issues, like you said. They, they're going to be rusty. The Oilers are going to have two games of recent hockey against a good Toronto club, I think they'll be ready for Montreal. 
As for the Flames in Vancouver, yeah, we're sweeping that. Come on, we we got this. We're sweeping both of them. 4-0, baby. That's what we're going to do. Uh, thank you guys very much for listening to this week's podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our ramblings. I particularly enjoyed talking about Taylor Hall because that is my biggest dream at the moment is for the way to get We've Taylor got, Hall. You can tell who, you know, where each of us put our input in this section. Next week, you'll get Corey's episode. Corey's going to describe every advanced analytic uh, stat for us next week. <laughs> It's going to be right. um, a lesson in math for all of our listeners. You can skip next week's podcast. It's going to be very dry. Maybe I'll do a little bit of bit gambling stuff to get the degenerates listening to us. But yeah, that's about it. That'll give us some, uh, some credibility that we know our math. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.